Welcome to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast, a deep dive into biblical leadership with pastor and author, Dr. Gerald Brooks. Hi, this is Pastor Gerald Brooks. Thank you so much for joining me for another podcast. Hey, just a couple of things. Uh, one, uh, I have several roundtables coming up. I have one coming up in Kansas City, and I have one that will uh, be coming up also in Columbus, Ohio. And if you're near either one of those areas, I want to invite you to come. You can go to my website and uh, figure out the dates on those and sign up. Also, uh, if you don't follow me on Twitter, uh, you can go to my Twitter account and I'm always putting out information about leadership. In fact, the real purpose of that is after every five of them, you should have uh, a message that you could communicate to whatever organization you're a part of just on leadership. And that's the whole nature of what we try to do with our Twitter account. That being said, uh, today I want to take a couple of minutes and what we're going to do is do a two-part message, this podcast and the next one, where I want to talk to you about five keys to lasting in leadership. Five keys to lasting in leadership. Now, those of you that have ever heard me know that uh, one of my life verses is John chapter 15 and verse 16. I've not only ordained that you bear fruit, but that your fruit remain. So the concept of not just having success for a moment, but having success over an extended period of time, uh, that is one of the key motivators in all of my thought processes and pretty well everything that I do. Uh, I know how to make a splash. But making a splash isn't the same thing as making a difference. And so making a difference takes longer than just making a splash. And so we're going to talk about five keys. And we're going to take these keys from uh, some writings that the Apostle Paul did to a young man named Timothy who was an emerging leader. So just imagine you have an older leader with maybe uh, a lot of experience and several reference points in life, and he's beginning to uh, dialogue with an emerging leader, someone who has great passion, giftedness, uh, but is wanting to know, how do I really make it in this thing called leadership? And so, uh, the first couple of thoughts we're going to take are going to be from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It says, Let no man despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Now, that's going to be our background. Let's start here. Uh, staying on track as a leader is not an easy thing to do. And the reason that we know it's not an easy thing to do is if it was easy, more people would do it. And the simple fact is, whether you're in the business arena, whether you're in the spiritual arena, uh, whether you're in the secular or you're in the God-defined uh, areas of life, uh, there aren't many people who last a long time in leadership. And because there aren't a whole lot who last a long time, that tells us that leadership is not always an easy task. And a part of that is, is that there's four things that come at a leader on a regular basis. One is this, people who try to divert you. Now, in every organization, there are going to be people who try to divert you. Some of this could be intentional. Most of it is just innocent uh, people offering ideas. And so people who try to divert you, uh, the way that comes across is they tell you what you should be doing. 
They tell you what you should be doing. And so every leader deals with the fact that there are going to be a number of people that no matter what they do, and even if they're doing the right thing, people are going to come and say, no, you should be doing this. Secondly, problems which discourage you. And uh, every leader deals with the problem equation. And that means you deal with you can't do this because of what the problems are, because of the circumstances, you can't do this. So when it comes to people, um, you should be doing this rather than what you're doing. When it comes to problems, you can't do this. And then the third thing is uh, pressures which distract you. You don't have time to do this. You don't have time to do this. And because of just the everyday pressures that come our way that are personal, that are public, that are organizational, or maybe family, all those pressures come and they just say, well, you can't do this. So every leader's got to navigate through people telling them what they should do, uh, problems telling them what they can't do, and then the fact that pressures will say that you don't have time to do, and then plans which disappoint you. And that's just you aren't sure that they will work. And so these are the four areas that that come at people on a regular basis. Uh, What you should do, what you can't do, uh, you don't have time to do, and you're not sure will work if you do. And so those are the kind of things that come. And what Paul's going to do is give us several keys. And we're going to talk about five, but we're only going to talk about two today. The first one is in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. He says, if you're going to last, then one of the things you have to understand is that you are an example. You are an example. See, it's easier to do leadership than to be a leader. Doing leadership doesn't mean that you've become a leader. And a lot of people do leadership, but when you become a leader, what that means is you've become an example. And so Paul writes and he says, let no one despise your youth. Let me just stop that. Uh, every leader has to understand that you have to live beyond people impose boundaries on you. And people impose boundaries can be a lot of things. But in this particular leader's case, it was his age. You're too young to do this. And in our society today, age is one of those dividing factors. You're too young to do this. You're too old to do this. What Paul said is, we always live our lives where our lives become a testimony so that our example is more profound than any obstacle. So when people look at us, they don't see our age, they see our example. They don't see that we're young, they don't see that we're old, they see our example. Now in here, Paul's going to mention some specific areas that a leader needs to be an example in. The first area is, he says, you need to be an example in the words that you speak, in the words that you speak. So the first thing that he really challenges leadership in is he says, you need to be a leader when it comes to your communication patterns. What you say, what you don't say, how you say something, how you don't say something, and that you need to be able to articulate and you need to be able to communicate. And as a result of that, he says, you need to be an example. 
When people look at you and they look at me, they should look at people that have really done some thoughts on the words that they speak. And that is that they're really, really cognizant that the words that they speak carry weight. And it's not just that they carry weight and what they say, it's that they carry weight and they're an example of what you communicate and what you do not communicate. In fact, it was Paul who wrote to this same young man and he said, avoid silly questions. Don't get caught up in every little nuance and 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 pull and tug that people want to get you in. Learn to communicate. Learn to avoid things that you don't need to be talking about and learn to target the things that you do need to talk about. And if you were in the world, here's what they would say. In the secular level, they say every leader has to learn to stay on message to stay on message, that you are consistent in the message that you deliver. You are consistent in what you deliver, how you deliver it, that when people are around you, they know that they're going to get a clear message and that you are going to stay on message. You're not going to get sidetracked. You're not going to get caught off guard. You are going to stay on message. And as a result of that, Paul says, if you're going to be an example, it starts with the words. When people begin to listen to you, do they hear something that is clear and concise? Do you stay on message or do you get chased around in your words into details and facts that don't matter? The second thing is he says that you need to be an example in conduct. And what this says is, is that our actions need to express our values. And so the things that we do need to reflect the values that we hold. And he says that our conduct needs to be an example. So when someone looks at you, they begin to see a value statement by just how you conduct yourself. Now, that's a little bit difficult today. And one of the things that I believe is a challenge is a lot of people want to be part-time leaders. And what a part-time leader is, is somebody who wants to lead when they're on stage but they don't want to lead when they're off stage. But your conduct is what people remember. So if someone watched you and never heard you, would what they see compel them to follow you? If someone watched you and never heard you, would your conduct compel them to follow you? I've learned in communicating that uh, people watch what I do more than listen to what I say. I tell the story uh, several years back that I was doing one of our church services, and it was one of the uh, early morning services. And basically, because of how our building is engineered, uh, during the summer, we have to freeze our first service so that everything will be cool enough. The second service, we do not have the capacity in 15 minutes uh, to change the air conditioning and our entire sanctuary because of the width, the height, and all the dynamics that reach into that. And so people who come to our first service, as I like to say, it's our cryogenic service. But one day, my oldest daughter, Wendy, 
uh, came to that service, and it was during the summer, and she had a little sundress on, and so uh, her shoulders were exposed. Well, I'm literally watching her as goosebumps begin to appear on her shoulders, and I can tell that she's freezing. Uh, and so before I go up on stage where I'm about to speak, I take my coat off and I put it on her. And then I go up on the stage. To me, it was just an innocent thing that a dad does uh, to make sure that his kid is being taken care of. What was interesting is at the end of that service, nobody came up to me and talked to me about my sermon. But I had people repeatedly come up to me and say the thing that ministered most to them was when they watched me take off my coat and give it to my daughter. See, our communication goes so far and our conduct goes farther. So is your life credible? If someone watched you, would they want to follow you? Paul then goes on and he says, uh, not only lead in word, not only lead in conduct, but lead in love. Are your attitudes great? Have you learned to master the attitudes of your life? Have you learned that um, you may not control your circumstances, but you do control your attitudes? And that in leadership, your attitude is your choice. No matter what anyone says, no matter what anyone does, you get to choose your attitude. And as a result of that, he goes through this sequence. He says, hey, I need your communication to be crisp. I need your uh, conduct to be credible, but I need your attitudes to be great. And he's talking to a young leader. And so are your attitudes the kind of things that reflect a commitment to the highest values and the highest context? And most of us like to complain about things that aren't in our control, and we like to ignore the things which are in our control. And our attitudes are within our control. I control my attitudes. As Paul said uh, in writing, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. As David said, why art thou cast down, O my soul, hope thou in God? In both occasions, they were saying, it's not your circumstances that determine your attitude. It's you that determines your attitude. And the reason we know that is there are people who have good circumstances, but they have bad attitudes. And there are people with bad circumstances who have good attitudes. So he goes through this. He says, be an example in your communication, be an example in your conduct, be examples in how you choose your attitude. And then he goes on and he says, be an example in faith. Be an example in faith, the beliefs that you hold. You know, it's real interesting to me. I have a young man who's was on my staff for 10 years, and I recently spoke at his church, and he's got this fabulous church in Colorado Springs. And he had, when he was on my staff, traveled with me when I would take uh, various uh, journeys and go various places. Um, and so he was there, and he got to see me get up in the morning, and he got to see me when I would conduct myself when I was not around anybody, but it was sort of private time. And one of the things that he told me here recently, and I didn't know, was that during that period of time, uh, one of my daughters had a very severe heart problem. And this heart problem was very, very threatening to whether she was going to live or die. 
And at that time, there were some limitations in what the doctors could do that uh, over the years have now become a little bit obsolete. But at that time, they were limitations. And he told the story of every day I'd get up and he'd watch me as I was shaving in the sense that we were all in the same room and, and then as I was blow drying my hair. But he said during that period of time, he would hear me uh, praying about my daughter's health. Well, what he didn't know and what I didn't know was that a few years later, he was going to have a daughter and this daughter was going to have a health issue and it was going to be her heart. And what I didn't realize was that he had told his congregation, he said, I was prepared to handle my daughter's heart because I watched how Gerald had handled his daughter's heart. See, he had seen my faith. Now, it wasn't perfect faith but it was my faith at that time. And so one of the things that Paul says is you've got to be an example in how you communicate. You have to be an example in your conduct and the choices of your attitude and then the confidence that you have, your faith. And then if you have confidence in your faith, then what you're going to do is you're going to be courageous. And then he goes on and he says, I need you to be an example in purity. And purity refers to integrity. See, there's two sides of life. There's the side of life everyone sees and everyone knows. And then there's the side of life that only you see and only God knows. Impurity, long before it's an outside issue, it starts on the inside. See, integrity on the inside is what creates purity on the outside. And when you have integrity on the inside, eventually it becomes purity on the outside. And what this refers to is that we have to be an example in consecration. We have to make sure that we've looked at areas of life and we've predecided that these are places we will go, and then there's some places we won't go. And I know that some people uh, work hard on overcoming, but I think a part of overcoming is just avoiding. And all of us know in our lives where uh, we can get messed up. And you don't know any need anyone to tell you that, but you know where you're prone to that. And so what the Bible says is, is that maybe you need to consecrate yourself. And what consecration is, it's that character checkup where you just look. So when Paul was writing to Timothy, he said, you need to be an example in your communication, in your conduct, in your choice of attitudes. You need to be an example in your confidence and faith and you need to be an example in your character and consecration. So one of the things that, that Paul said was, he said, before you can lead anyone else, you got to lead yourself. And this isn't whether you're young or old. This is whether you're committed to leading yourself. John Maxwell always made this statement, if you could kick in the rear the person who gave you the most trouble, you would never be able to sit down. See, your biggest problem isn't anyone else. 
it's you and your ability to master what would be the natural tendencies that you lean towards. And so Paul said that if you're going to be a leader, you got to be an example. So here's what I can tell you. People are watching. Whether you realize it or not, people are watching. People watch us more than they listen to us. So more than they listen to our words, they watch us. And people watch us for the qualities that we often don't think anyone's watching us for. So Paul said that if you're going to be a leader, you got to be an example. And what I found is that people who last in leadership, they are great examples. Now, let me take you to another thought in verse 13. He says, uh, Till I come, give attention to your devotion, to exhortation, and to doctrine. And again, what Paul's doing is he's driving down and he's digging deep and he's saying, leaders that are going to last, one, will be examples, two, they have a strong devotional habit. Now, what's interesting is, is when you study devotion, what you know is that devotion equals two things. It's dedication and it's discipline. So people who have devotion, they understand that there's a dedication that they make and there's a discipline that they create. And the reason this is important is because it deals with the two sides of your life, the dedication of your heart and the discipline of your flesh. So devotion isn't just getting up and reading. It's getting up and dedicating as you read. And so one deals with the heart, the other deals with the flesh, and devotion is the ability to navigate both of those. The dedication of my heart, I love the Lord my God with all my heart. And it's the dedication of my flesh. And so in the dedication of your heart, you begin to learn what you're supposed to do. In the dedication of your flesh, you learn to stick to what you're supposed to do. So in the dedication of your heart, you begin to understand this is what I'm supposed to do. And then in the dedication of your flesh, you learn these are the things that I need to stick to. Now, a part of this is that leaders understand what has to be done. One of the things that I believe is one of the decisive abilities of leaders is that we distinguish what has to be done from what could be done and what can be left undone. So in life, there are things that have to be done, there are things that could be done, and there are things that need to be left undone. And it is the ability to see and to focus on what has to be done that separates leaders from the crowd. See, most people are busy, not because they're busy doing what has to be done, but because they're being busy doing things that don't have to be done and doing things that could be left undone. What I know is God gives you enough time on this planet to do what he created you to do. And if you don't have time to do what God created you to do, it is because 
you haven't distinguished between what has to be done, what could be done, and what should be left undone. And so the ability to see these three things and to focus on the first one, what has to be done, is the skill that separates the leader from the crowd. In leadership, there'll always be a hundred things to do, but there's only a couple of things that you should do. So what Paul does is he teaches the value of focus. Do I stay focused on what should be done? No matter how loud other things get, do I focus on what should be done? Do I keep my eyes, do I keep my attention on what should be done and what has to be done and don't get distracted by things that have to be left undone? So Paul teaches the value of focus. And as he teaches the value of focus, he then goes on and he says, if you learn to focus, then you can learn to be faithful. See, faithfulness isn't doing everything. Faithfulness is doing God things. And everything and God's things are not the same thing. Well, I've just got so much to do. You know, I just feel like everything's on my shoulders. Well, what I know is, is that in devotion, you learn the difference between everything and God's things. So what we know is that as you begin to move ahead in your devotions, it's dedication of your heart. It's the discipline of your flesh. It is the ability to focus on what has to be done. And it is the ability to be faithful to do those things that you focus on. Now, he goes on, and what he describes is this. He says in here that we are to give attention to reading, exhortation, and to doctrine. And so, reading, of course, the priority there was always going to be the Bible, the manuscripts. And so, he said, always make sure that you are accessing the Word of God. I mean, we get it. Jesus said it clearly. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. And so what we've got to do is that we have to make sure that we're exposing our heart to the word of God. And then he says in there that there is to be exhortation. We are to be surrounding ourselves with people who encourage us with God. And then he says doctrine. And that refers to people who help us expound the principles of God. So devotion is where we begin to read and exalt God, where we begin to have exhortation, where people encourage us with God. And then there's doctrine, where we begin to expound the principles of God. Now, That being said, uh, in devotion, you need all three. You need a private time, you need a small group time, and then you need a true learning time. And each one of those are critical. And so what Paul's doing is he's laying out the foundation and the grid work for lasting as a leader. And that leadership equation looks like Hey, if you're going to last, 
then you're going to have to be an example. And if you're going to last, you're going to have to have an honest devotion that involves the dedication of your heart, the disciplining of your flesh, a sense of focus and faithfulness, and then understanding the priorities of where you're spending time with God, learning about him, you're understanding how people can encourage you in God, and then there is the doctrine where you begin to expound the principles of God. Well, I know this is a little bit uh, Bible-centric right now, but I do believe that these principles cross over. Believable leaders, their life tells the story. And believable leaders take the time to be able to replenish and renew. And Paul's just laying that grid work right now. I pray that this helps you. Next time we'll deal with uh, three other things that Paul said that uh, a leader needs to be engaged with. But thank you so much. Uh, This is the first part of five keys to lasting as a leader. Again, we've got roundtables coming up. We have some great events that are on the horizon. We want to encourage you to come and participate. Again, if you don't follow us on Twitter, please do that. I think that'll be helpful for you, and I think that'll be something that you will enjoy. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Gerald Brooks Leadership Podcast. If you'd like more information on Dr. Brooks's books, audio, or speaking engagements, please go to GeraldBrooksMinistries.com.